there is the environmental crisis. We didn't contribute at all, but we are badly the one who are facing the first impact of the climate change, of environment degradation. So seeing all those impact, I cannot let my community down. Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's more critical than ever that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping solve some of the most important conservation issues that we face today. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Hindu Umru Ibrahim, an environmentalist and geographer working to prevent conflict around climate in Chad. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today, Hindu. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Can you describe where you were born and the community that you were raised in? I am from Bororo people who are a pastoralist, nomadic living across all the Sahel regions. I'm coming from a community who are really nomadic, who didn't went to school, who depend from the rainfall, who depend from the nature and what nature are giving us and what we are giving back to the nature. Thanks to my mom, who was just ahead of her own generations. So she decided to send me and my sister to school. And it has been a big fight because uh, we do not send the kids to school and we do not send the girls to school. So for her, it was like a big challenge also to say, my kids can go to school to learn the Western culture, but they will never forget their own culture. So that is start already like my life and how I can stand up and fight for my community. Why is it that you chose to use your education to fight for your original community? There is the environmental crisis. As we said always, we didn't create the climate change because we do not have even a car at the community and people do not have electricity. So we didn't contribute at all. But we are badly the one who are facing the first impact of the climate change, of environment degradation. So seeing all those impact, I cannot let my community down. I have to go back to them and try to build up how they can better adapt, how they can better fight for their own right, and how they can live, but not always fighting for survival. Can you describe some of the environmental challenges that your community faces? Like today, right now, in Chad, in Niger, in Nigeria, all the land of my community, those land are flooded. Even at home, me who is talking here, our home flooded. We have thousands and thousands of people who are becoming homeless. And my family is part of them. And when we talk about the climate change, many people, especially in the developed world, they just like, making it in the report and watching it in the TV and trying to say like, yes, let us find the solutions, always talking. But we are experiencing the first hand in every single moment in our life. We have to fight to survive. While I'm sitting speaking here, my family have to fight to see where they're going to sleep. And that is so painful. I, I appreciate you being able to talk about this during a challenging time for your family. I think maybe something that's important to to put a point on for 
Western listeners is just how dependent a pastoral community is on the environment, how very small changes in rainfall or drought or, you know, as you said, pasture, like where plants grow, you know, how that has a tremendous impact on on the way people actually live their lives. Yeah. So when you are pastoralists, you do not depend from the end of the month's salary. You do not depend from the supermarket to buy your food. You depend from the rainfall to make your crops or the pasture for your cattle in order to get the milk. So it is our life, it is our livelihood, it is our economy. That is the big reason that people are fighting over the remaining resources. They are fighting for their own survival. And people kill each other because they wanted to save their own families. Yeah, so when you describe climate conflict like that, how how prevalent is that? I mean, how, how much conflict is caused by the, the dwindling resources? The conflict over resources is growing up every single year. People are moving from north to south because north are more desertic, south are more greeners. And when they go there, there are other peoples who are already using those space. So that's what increased the conflict between the communities. Or they can fight to get access to a fresh water point. So the fresh water point around all the Sahel regions create a conflict between the communities. In 2009, I went on a rock climbing expedition to Chad, and it was actually a formative experience in my life. I just don't even know how you describe how difficult the climate is there, how how harsh the landscape is, how it's just so barren. I mean, we drove for three days across flat sand with nothing in any direction, basically no vegetation, no water, like almost, you know, almost no life. That's true. I mean, my people are really living very close to the nature and depend from this nature. And when the nature is harmed a little bit, when we talk about 1.5 degree, maybe for some people it's a number, but for me, for my people, with 1.5 degree that we have, we are living the summer up to 50 degrees Celsius. It's about more than 130 Fahrenheit. And at the same time, you have to look for the water for your people. And this water is evaporating because of the heat. And the peoples are just left on their own to fight all the climate impact. And that's one of the reasons, like, I will never let them down. I will never. Hindu is addressing the climate conflict in her community through a unique approach that relies on local expertise. So what kind of solutions are you working on? I try to help them in several ways. One of my favorite is how to do a participatory mapping using the traditional knowledge of the communities and the science knowledge to draw up the map that can show the remaining resources. What is participatory mapping? So participatory mapping is a process, process over years where the community can come and themselves decide it, which land that they have to map, which natural resources they have to figure out into the map. The last mapping I did around Lake Chad is 3,500 kilometers square. 
So I print the map on five to four meters and went to the community. And we start working over two weeks, coming up with the main road, with the corridor of movement, with the water points, the well, the lake, the rivers, the different kind of the agriculture, from the peanut to the maize. And we map all the traditional knowledge through the, the sacred forest, the trees that we can use for the food, for the medicinal plant. So we map all those knowledges. And at the end, I take the pictures of the final map. And I work with a software to make a digital map of all those knowledges. And at the end, I have to print the digital map and go back to the community. Give each chief of the community a printed map. And that is the tools they can use when they get a conflict, to sit around the map and resolve it. And the exciting thing, it is also the knowledge is changed during the drawing up of the mapping between the elders, the young, and the women. So then man can see how much women are knowledgeable around the water point, around the knowledge on the health, medicinal plant, food knowledge. And the youth can learn from the elders how they use to manage all the resources, how they can hunt sustainably, how they can protect the trees who are sacred because those trees can help us to keep the water on the ground. So it is really a way of sharing, way of protecting and way of projecting our future. Can you describe some of the results of your mapping projects? The immediate benefit was the communities clapping themselves. They say most of them never sit down together. And now they're just sitting down, talking about the resources and the importance of the resources. I think this is really a big resolution or a big solution that we get. The second is mapping the resources that are forgotten in this planet. I'm talking about the thousands of thousands of years old knowledges that pass it over generations, that finally we are mapping them. Finally, we are having them as a database. We can pass them over the generations to do not lose them. And what inspired you to use mapping in your community? Like, why did you think that a a map would be the the way to help prevent conflict. So when you are a pastoralist, you always like a mappers because you always <laughs> looking the land, looking the sky, looking the start to move. So for me, it is natural to become a mappers. And how it's come to use the science knowledge and traditional knowledge together. Yeah, actually, one of the most remarkable examples of navigation I've ever seen in my life was in Chad while we were on this climbing expedition. And we drove for three days across just completely flat, empty desert with no road, just by GPS heading, just driving towards the northeast corner of Chad. And after two days of driving across nothing, we just randomly ran into these two guys on camels that were just questing across the desert. 
we couldn't really communicate, but we sort of were like, wow, to see other people out here is incredible. <laughs> but uh, we had a, a guide who had been operating in, in uh, Chad and, and Niger for many years. And I asked him, you know, how they navigated, because obviously they had to get to the next well. And he said that they navigated, as you say, through the stars. And he said that that time of year, there's a prevailing wind from one direction. So they kind of feel the wind, they look at the stars and they just go and they just know the way. But it was it was incredible because if you miss the well in the desert like that, you will die. It's like there's it's not like there's any other water. Like he put it into climbing terms for me. He said, you know, sometimes when you're climbing, there are situations in which you can't fall because a fall would be disastrous. So he's like, so you just make sure you don't fall. And he's like, <laughs> with uh, with these guys navigating, he's like, oh, they just make sure they don't miss the well. And I was like, huh, like, is it that simple? You just you just make sure that you don't make a mistake. I was like. It was it was so wild. Anyway, all that to say, I can see why navigation and, and mapping is such an important part of, of a nomadic community. It's like from from the day you're born, you know, you have to navigate the landscape or else or else you die. That, that That's why I say like my best GPS and my best applications of weather forecast is my grandmother. <laughs> because she don't need electricity, she don't need a battery, but she know well her environment. So for us being a nomadic, navigating around all the places, without having a cell phone, without having like access to the satellite, people know where they have to go and they cannot miss it. So I, I said like uh, my grandmother, she can just like observe the birth migration. She can observe the wind directions. And she can tell you if it's going to rain in the next couple of hours or not, because she don't have a home. If you are nomadic, you don't have like a build it home that when it's raining, you just like run, get into in. And when it is hot, you have to go out. So that's why you have to integrate you in your own system, the weather forecast application. And you have to know that automatically. What kind of challenges have you faced while trying to map with a community? The challenge is the time because you need a lot of time to do a consultation with the communities, to agree with each chief of the community, to come and then discuss. Another challenge is the language because most of the peoples wanted us to do it in French or Arabic or other in English and community do speak the indigenous language. And when you have many communities, they speak a different local languages. So those are really the like technical or practical challenge that we face when we do the mapping. But however, the most important things I said, it is how the community can understand the map that they did for themselves. It's not how the others can come and understand that. So has it been hard for you to do this work as a woman? Gosh, yes. I mean, yeah. So growing up in a patriarchal society and becoming a woman leader, I passed through a lot of challenges. It's half been a journey. You have to make your proof every single day, even to today. If you are a woman, you have to show that you are capable to do things and you are doing the right things and you have to prove it in every step. This is the tiring part to today 
Because if you are man, you can do things once and they say like, yes, he can do it and everyone believe you and it's fine. But for me, no. I have to do it and come up with the proof tomorrow. Come up with the proof the next day and then the next day. And it is the same at the international level where I'm negotiating on the climate change. It's very hard and it's very tiring to prove myself every day. And uh, I do not wish to change what I am. But I wish that they will change the way that they understand the world can be different, but can be in the advantage of every human being in this planet. Yes, definitely an uphill battle for you, but it seems like, I suppose it's it's easier to take on that challenge when you know that it's for your family, it's for your people, it's for your community at home. It's a unfortunate burden for you, but at the same time, it's a real opportunity for you to be able to do something for your community. That's what keep me up. That's what keep me going yeah. because it is yeah. an opportunity to raise their voice where their voice cannot go to show that they are not only a problem or a victim of the climate change, they are also a solutions to show the world that the solution can come from every corner of the world. Despite the many challenges that she faces, Hindu has won international acclaim for her work. You won the uh, Rolex Awards for Enterprise in 2021 for your participatory mapping project. Do you remember how you felt when you, when you heard that you won the award? It was so exciting that I'm like, wow. So the Rolex aware that just trusting what I'm doing and believing on these solutions, then I feel the award is not for me. The award is for the communities. The award is an example to show climate change can be tackled. The hours is the hope that even with the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming, we can still fix the climate if we can all come together. So I can't describe that, but it was really a big chance. Having these resources, having this opportunity to raise the voice of my communities, of the mapping that I'm doing and having the chance also to continuing scale it up the work that I'm doing. Yeah. How does the award impact the work that you're doing? How are you using it to help scale? I use these resources to do my mapping around the lake chat. And I'm going to use the same resources to do the map in Niger. So it's immediate help. It's not for tomorrow. It's immediately implementing the resources. That's nice. It's, so have you gotten to meet any of the other Rolex laureates? Yes, I, I meet all the four fellow. So one of them, it's uh, working on Himalaya. He's working also with the communities. And then I, I feel also connected with him because even he's from the higher glaciers mountain. I'm from the lower and uh, dry areas. We have a connections. The other one who's doing on the food security in Tanzania, helping to put in nutrition 
it's connected also to my life because for me, when there is drought or flood, we are ending up with the food insecurity and having additional nutrient in Africa is so important. We have our own little group of the WhatsApp and where we are chatting always and sharing our experiences and make this connection over the different area that we are working on it for the best of the humanity. Oh, yeah. I talked to both Rinzen Funzak Lama and Felix Brooks Church for the podcast. They're doing great work. Hindu's work is inspiring more people to use map making as a tool for addressing climate challenges in their own communities. So what do you hope for the future of your work? I hope that many people will learn from how I'm doing the map and they can do that not only in Chad or in Africa, but around the world. You can use the participatory mapping. You can use it in your own way and just to help the communities to come all together to build their own map. Everyone can map his own space, better manage the space, better understand, and we can mitigate all the climate impact that we did to our planet. What advice would you give to someone else who's interested in doing this kind of work? I can just tell him it is not magic. You don't need to go to school to learn it. You have just to to be confident on yourself and work with the community that you wanted to engage because you cannot do the mapping yourself. You have to do that in the area with the peoples that are leaving this area. And it has to be in a consultation way, not information way. They are expert than you. So they have to show the willing of doing it themselves. And you can just help to guide how they can do it better. That's it. And mm-hmm. the rest will come naturally. Do you hope that, that people will continue this work? That the next generation will will carry on this project? Yes, of course. I mean, I have so many young people that are very interesting. Uh, you know, it is so amazing when I do the participatory mapping. I got even the young people from the neighborhood who say like, may I come with you? So I got so many volunteers that come with me. They just wanted to go there and learn. And when they come back, they're all talking about the experience that they get. They're all talking about how it is important to be with those people to learn from them. They say it is the best experience of my life to talk with the communities, to understand the importance of it. So, of course, they wanted to do it themselves. And I also wish that they will take it and do it their own self and their own way. They can do it better than me. Yeah, that's always the hope is that somebody will improve upon it and do it even better. What advice would you give to the average person on how they can help keep the planet perpetual? I think everyone has the role to play to keep the planet perpetual. You don't have to be an activist or have to be an environmentalist because we are all environment. We are part of the environment. We are environment. Think about the water that you drink. Think about the food that you eat. Think about the air that you breathe. All coming from the nature. That can help you when you are making the decision to buy your food, buy the sustainable one, the local one. 
If you eat your food, don't waste it. Think about having only what you need. Do not take more than what you have to absorb, to consume. Give back to the nature. Think about the indigenous communities around the world that are living depending from this nature. If you protect it, you are protecting it for us and for you. That is a beautiful way of looking at the world. That was environmentalist and geographer Hindu Umru Ibrahim. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Season 2 of Planet Visionaries. If you enjoyed this final episode, and our whole season, please like and leave a review to help others find it. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss Season 3, coming in the spring of 2023. Thanks for listening.